Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools are here every week to promote and to defend public education. And uh, every week we try to tell you what public education is to distinguish it from private education. It's public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it's public in, in access. Every child has the right to enter a public school. We still have the idea, if not the practice, of free education in this country. They can have it in other countries like Germany, but in Australia, unfortunately, free education is always under attack from the private sector that has fee education. The two are mutually exclusive. But... uh, As well as that, you should have public education, which is public in ownership and control, uh, because public education is the only one that should be publicly funded because it's the only one that can be publicly accountable. Now, these are, uh, these, this definition is full of oughts, isn't it? It's full of shoulds and oughts. Um, so we have to keep all of these oughts in mind as we deal with a rather unpleasant reality in Australian education today as the private lobby gains more and more power. Or is it? Here is our press release 765 on our website at www.adogs.info. State school lobby fights back. Fair funding now. On Tuesday, the 2nd of October 2018, an organisation called Fair Funding Now paid for a full-page letter to the Prime Minister in the Fairfax Press. You might have missed it, but it was in a fairly prominent position in the age, and I assume in the Herald Sun, or the Herald, sorry, not the Herald Sun. The letter was signed by 27 organisations, including public school principals, teacher and parents' organisations and lobby groups. And they were concerned about the current discrimination against public schools in the Australian Government's funding wars. Well, what is this Fair Funding Now organisation? You can find out more about them at their website at www.fairfundingnow.org.au and there you will find on their homepage they are a community of people, parents, teachers, principals and citizens working together to speak up and demand fair funding for public schools. They believe all schools should be properly resourced to meet the unique needs of every child and help them reach their potential. They're speaking up against the Liberal National Government in Canberra's 1.9 million funding cut to public schools that will leave 87% of public schools below the minimum level of funding required to meet the educational needs of children. They can't stay silent while millions of public school children miss out on vital funding for smaller class sizes and extra specialist teachers. They want uh, other people to join them and also the Prime Minister and help us build the groundswell of pressure needed to demand fair funding for public schools. Their children, our children, only get one chance at an education. 
help them reach their potential with fair funding now. So that is what they're about. In other words, they are essentially about a needs policy, the Gonski 2.0 policy, being properly implemented because the special deals given to the Catholic and independent schools has completely cut across any needs policy. Well, the dogs would say, of course, good luck to them, but there's never been a needs policy properly implemented because the Catholic sector and the private sector have always had special deals for the wealthy schools. Now, the letter is available at um, a website which we give you in the press release 765, and they call for action. They call for the federal government to immediately restore the public school 1.9 billion cut and they also uh, call for the government to fund all schools to 100% of the agreed schooling resource standard by 2023, to upgrade the schools and facilities by establishing a capital works fund for public schools. They've established a nice slush fund for private schools, for their capital works and their expansion, but not for public schools, and to reverse the cuts to funding for students with disabilities. Now, in the last week, the federal government's been in damage control on many fronts. As the Banking Commission interim report took centre stage, the increase in gas emissions report got surreptitiously buried at the end of the week, and so they may hope with the public education funding problems as they attempt to push private school largesse through the Senate and COAG meetings. And I look at the age today and find, I'm sorry, the age on Thursday, October the 4th, 2018, and I see where the Greens have got the good sense to see they won't get the Catholic uh, votes up there in Northcote, but they will get public school votes and uh, they are saying the Greens leader, Richard Dindatali, has been prepared to take on Mr Elder and call the, um, the private school lobby, the Catholic school lobby, leeches. They are leeching on the public purse. Quite right. First time I've seen somebody really call it for what it is. Congratulations to Di Natale. And there you have somebody that you can vote for, the Greens. Amazing. Can't believe it, that they've had the uh, temerity to take on the Catholic Church. Uh, The Labor opposition has quietly engaged in diversion tactics, announcing an extension to preschool education. But will this be publicly provided as well as publicly funded? Or will we have the ongoing corruption of the preschool, primary and secondary, as well as the vocational industry imposed upon our next generation? Now, public education is in great need of both administrative and political champions. And so it's heartening to see uh, Richard and Natale understanding that there are votes in the public funding of public schools lobby. Uh, so... Principals, parents and teachers are looking to state governments to fight in their funding corner. But as Trevor Cobalt has indicated in his recent research, both state and federal governments are letting the public sector down as well. It's not just the federal but also the state governments uh, that we should be looking at, especially here in Victoria and in New South Wales because there are elections looming According to Trevor Cobold, public schools have suffered a double blow in the last fortnight and the Morrison government announced the $4.6 billion appeasement deal for private schools with no increase for public schools. Last week, the Guardian exposed how Labor and Coalition state governments are trying to evade commitments to increase their funding of public schools through a subterfuge. If successful... Public schools, which enrol over 80% of disadvantaged students, could lose up to $2.6 billion a year. And public schools need, and they deserve, much better than this. But the docs note that there's an interesting disconnect between governments chasing the Catholic vote and the electorate. 
because not all parents are stupid when it comes to value for money in education. Even on the choice principle, parents are choosing public schools. Why? They are educationally better because private schools are all about networking systems as much, if not more, than educational issues. They will always be educationally predatory on the major system. Dinatali is right. They are leeching money from the main system. Educationally and financially, they are predatory. Public schools enrolments are forecast to increase by 23 times more than Catholic school enrolments over the next decade. This is Australia-wide raising very hard questions about the assumptions behind the Morrison government's $4.6 billion private school funding deal. These forecasts were provided by the Federal Department of Education and Training under the Freedom of Information Act to the Australian Education Union. They haven't been readily available, but the government knows which way the parents are walking with their feet. They show that, in real terms, the public school sector will grow by more than 270,000 students in the next 10 years, as opposed to only 11,000 extra students for the Catholic sector. In Victoria, public school enrolments are forecast to grow at almost 10 times that of the Catholic sector over the next decade. So it looks as, as if Mr Di Natale as putting his mouth where the money should be going and where the votes are going to be going. And Queensland public school enrolments are forecast to grow at almost eight times that of the Catholic sector. Now, the Federal Education Union President, Karina Haythorpe, has said that despite funding cuts imposed by the Morrison government, public school enrolment figures are a strong vote of confidence by parents in excellent high-quality public education delivered by committed, highly qualified teachers. She says, These federal school enrolment forecasts demonstrate the complete disconnect between Scott's Morrison's $4.6 billion private school spending splurge and the stark reality of school enrolments. The president of the AEU, that's Karina um, Haythorpe, represents a very unified lobby group of state school supporters and all they are asking for is some measure of fairness in funding for public schools rather than the withdrawal of state aid like the dogs are and they are armed with very solid facts and figures. These facts and figures indicate gross unfairness in the funding of public as opposed to private schools, ever-increasing dependence upon public funding of private schools, and scandalous lack of accountability of private schools for public funding. The coalition government prides itself on its economic credentials, but its neoliberal attempts at privatising our public services, whether they be education, electricity, banking or transport, are an expensive, unmitigated disaster. Dogs suggest a royal commission into the privatisation of education in Australia and the withdrawal of state aid to the private sector. Now we pay for them. Private schools are no longer too big to fail. So that is the Dogs Press release for this week. Um, and I'm sorry that uh, before it was written, we didn't get to know about the Greens' decision to question the uh, Catholic education funding, but it looks as if they might have problems getting it through the Senate anyway. So I don't think banking commissions and other commissions and... Uh, Mr Trump uh, and all the other distractions that we have in our news cycle. In spite of all this, I don't think the funding wars for state education are going away any time soon and the coming elections will be very interesting indeed. But we'll have a bit of a break, a little bit of Chopin and um, then we have a very interesting article written by Jane Cowo and Dale is going to read it 
for us. By the way, we haven't got Robert here this week because Robert's been in hospital and he's home having a very well-earned rest. you're listening to the dogs program and um hope you're staying with us and if you are i'll now turn you over to dale thanks jean i've got an article here by jane caro uh, entitled enemies of public schooling an award-winning public school principal i know responded wistfully to the extra 4.6 billion in education funding that Prime Minister Scott Morrison is giving to exclusively fee-charging schools. Of course, she could have used some extra money, but it was our new PM's grandiose claims that this extra dosh will end the funding, the school's funding wars that hit her hardest. Morrison's, Morrison's complete lack of interest in the fight public schools and their supporters have waged for fairer funding over decades was devastating. Either he doesn't know or doesn't care. Either conclusion is deeply dispiriting for those who care about public schools. It ought to be just as troubling for all the rest of us. It certainly is not the attitude of a Prime Minister governing, as he likes to claim, for all Australians. 
The principal remarked that the thing that hurt her most when she thought about the very disadvantaged community her high school works so hard for was that Morrison and Education Minister Dan Tian are acting as if public schools and the 70% of Australian kids they teach don't really exist. There is simply nothing special or important about private education as an idea. My students don't matter to them, she said. It's as if their future, their potential and those of us who do our level best to encourage them are beside the point. Our schools simply don't count and we can safely be ignored. There is a terrifying arrogance amongst those who have no understanding of the importance of public education in ensuring the strength and resilience of both an advanced economy and a functioning democracy. Caught up with their own personal agendas, proselytising a particular religion on the, on the part of those who run such schools, or buying an advantage for their own children on the part of those who choose them, they totally miss the bigger and more imp- important picture. Worse, it seems as if almost every member of the federal coalition has no understanding of the importance of public education. Some of them might deign to turn up to speech night at the public schools and their electorate to placate a few voters. Many don't even do that. In the 13 years my children attended a comprehensive public school, public high school in Tony Abbott's electorate, he didn't show up once. I know because both my daughters were singers not award winners sadly, and I attended every single speech night to watch them perform. There is simply nothing special or important about private education as an idea. It's been around since kings hired tutors for their, ch- for their children. Any tin pot dicta- dictatorship can and does create a highly educated elite. There is nothing difficult or clever about that. What is difficult, what requires a commitment by every member of the community, particularly, one would think, those who lead it, is a strong, well-supported, well-resourced public education system open to every child in their own right, regardless of who their parents are. That is what differentiates a civil society from one where inherited privilege trumps equality of opportunity. And, of course, the reason tin pot dictatorships remain tin pot is because the people who get promoted and fill the positions of power do so because of privilege, not talent or skill. I sometimes look at the antics of our current crop of of political leaders, most of whom attended the same small group of so-called elite boys' school, and wonder if we might not already be there. Perhaps not coincidentally, Not coincidentally, none of our recent Prime Ministers have been great supporters of public education. John Howard declared it to be values neutral, which is bizarre as as it is the only system that accepts all children without judgment. It's hard to think of a more important value in in a participatory democracy than that. Kevin Rudd injected some much-needed money into the system via his school halls program, but he was undermined by his education minister and eventual successor, Julia Gillard, who, de- who declared she couldn't see the difference between public and private schools. Despite the popularity of the original Gonski scheme, Gillard dithered for months over it and had to be dragged to the sticking point by, by the then New South Wales Premier, Barry O'Farrell, a Liberal, and his then Education Minister, Adrian Piccoli, a National. She also warped its needs-based character early on by insisting that no school could lose a dollar. Mind you, perhaps she was prescient about the political cost, given Morrison's opportunistic announcement last week. Abbott made no pretense of being anything but hostile to public schools. He tried to about-face Gonski after promising no cuts to education in the election campaign, though the resulting outcry forced him to about-face on the about-face. Malcolm Turnbull was smarter, quietly burying the Gonski funding. He cut $2.2 billion from all schools, but $1.9 billion of it came from the public ones while claiming to praise the scheme. And now we have Morrison, a man so hostile to the very idea of public schools that he said he keeps his own children out of them because of the values they teach. 
specifically inclusion and gender diversity. Frankly, like the public school principal I quoted above, it is hard not to despair. Public education is a perfect storm. The Federal Liberal National Party can call their funding needs-based until they are blue in the face, but with 52% of public school enrolments coming from families below the average index of community socio-educational advantage, or ICSIA, while only 11% of Catholic school and 5% of independent school enrolments do so, such spin is not just cynical, but cruel. The result of this needs-based scheme, in fact, will be that 87% of the schools that educate the most of, that educate most of the neediest kids, that is, public schools, will remain funded below the minimum school resource standard into the foreseeable future. Already 65% of fee charging schools are funded above this threshold. Even more now, I dare say, thanks to Morrison's largesse. According to the OECD, Australia is far and away the biggest spender of public money on private schools of any advanced economy. And that was before Morrison's spectacular injection of cash. A year earlier, another report from the OECD warned that Australia invents invests a lower proportion of public money to public education than the OECD average and only Turkey Turkey and Colombia are doing worse. Yet, enrolments in public schools are going up, mostly at the cost of Catholic schools. The main reason for this, no doubt, is stagnant wage growth. The fallout from the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse, the worldwide scandals concerning the Catholic Church and child sexual abuse in general, and the loss of religious faith by so many in the West, will also have played their part. And therein lies the clue. There is simply no economic ethical or educational justification for spending $4.6 billion on the kids who are overwhelmingly from better-off households in already well-resourced schools. So why do it? I believe this florid, unjustifiable injection of cash is part of the culture of war. This extra money is an attempt to turn the tide against public education, particularly among the people our leaders think matter, read the middle class. There is an existential terror among the religious right, and no wonder. Forget Australia's overwhelming yes vote for marriage equality. When Catholic Ireland also votes for marriage equality, and even more spectacularly for the repeal of draconian abortion laws, and has now made all abortions available free... A collective worldwide shiver runs down the spine of the people who prefer the rules to be made by those who are white, male, Christian and straight. It is the secular nature of public education that Morrison and his fellow conservative believers don't like. That's why unexceptional teaching resources such as the anti-bullying safe schools program cause such a disproportionate kerfuffle. It's why media furfies over Christmas carols and nativity plays in public schools are as ubiquitous as tinsel and reindeers every December. It's why conservative prime ministers from John Howard onward have sneered at the lack of values in public schools. What they really mean is the lack of their particular brand of rigid Christian values. It's the greatest strength of public education that they reject. Inclusivity, the fundamental belief that there are as many ways to live a good life as there are people living lives. In fact, it's not that Morrison doesn't care about public schools, the people who teach in them, or the kids who attend, in, who attend them. It's worse than that. He sees them as his ideological enemies. Well, Dale, thank you very much. Uh, that was a very interesting article by Jane Carrow, who I think is a member of the rationalists or the humanists up there in Sydney. But um, it's not only, the dogs not only attract uh, rationalists and humanists, they also attract uh, Christians, of course, because there is uh, a very firm belief amongst a lot of Christians that there should be separation of religion from the state. And uh, this comes not only from uh, Matthew's Gospel, it also comes from 
historical experience that when religion and the state get together, you start getting blasphemy laws. That comes first. After blasphemy laws, you start getting um, persecution of those people who don't believe exactly what you believe. And it ends up, as it did in the Middle Ages, with burnings of heretics and uh, very nasty religious wars because there is nothing like the bloodletting of a religious war. And uh, the ideas of the Enlightenment, of course, came out of the terrible wars in Europe. But um, the people who got fed up with it went off to America and later to Australia. So there are still people who remember this history and who believe in the separation of religion from the state. And one of them is a Pastor Johnson uh, in Texas, of all places. Texas, I think, is one of those blue states, isn't it? Very strong blue states. I think it produces the bushes and other other um, overlords uh, whose money comes from the, uh, the oil. But um, Charles Foster Johnson is a founder of a group called Pastors for Texas Children. And he barnstormed across Tennessee um, and met with like-minded ministers who believe in separation of church and state. He organised 2,000 ministers in Texas and he played a significant role in forging an alliance between rural Republicans and urban Democrats to stop the voucher system, which of course is still being pushed by the Roman Catholics here in Australia and certainly in America. Now, Johnson's mission is starkly different from church leaders who want public funding available for religious and private schools. He is a fierce advocate of separation of church and state, as well as local control of schools and education funding. We want full funding of our public schools, and we are against privatisation that diverts God's common good money to underwrite private schools, he said. The public should stay public, and the private should stay private. Well, not everybody would believe that common good money, uh, public money, is God's money, but um, that's a very interesting statement, I think. His advocacy model is being replicated in Oklahoma, Kentucky, Mississippi and now Tennessee, where Johnson's rallying local pastors during stops in Knoxville, Nashville and Pleasant Hill. He'll close out his tour on Friday at the First Baptist Church of Memphis, the Baptists have always been good church state separationists, I think, uh, since um, the gentleman who wrote uh, Pilgrim's Progress. And he's also been at the city where some Tennessee lawmakers sought last year to create a pilot voucher program. That effort failed, but groups on both sides expect some type of voucher legislation will be introduced next January when a newly elected General Assembly convenes under a new administration replacing the outgoing Republican government, Bill Haslam. So the pastors for Tennessee children will be ready to fight against vouchers when it surfaces again. The support for vouchers comes from the American Federation for Children, which is an organisation funded and founded by Betty DeVos, the current Secretary for Education, to promote vouchers. We actually here in Australia have a form of a voucher system with the enormous amount of money that we are giving per capita to um, the children in religious schools. The resource standard, if you sit and think about it, is a voucher system. But um, they so far have uh, fought against it in America. Now, this American Federation for Children, the Betty DeVos Voucher System uh, Group, spends hundreds of thousands of dollars in Tennessee at every election supporting voucher-friendly candidates. So make no mistake, uh, it's a political battle for funding for every dollar for public education and against the private sector. Meanwhile, we find out, here's just a quick little piece of information, that Betsy DeVos's security, that is her bodyguards, because she's not very popular, is she, mm-hmm. will cost taxpayers in America $7.7 million this year. It's understandable that multi-billionaire Betsy DeVos needs round-the-check 
clock protection because she makes a lot of people angry. But why does her security detail cost $7.7 million? Because her brother owns a private military. Maybe he could protect her. You're dealing here with billionaires. Maybe she could use some of the money she saves, not paying taxes, by registering her 10 yachts in the Cayman Islands to pay for her own security. Maybe she should dip into her own $5 billion fortune and pay for it herself. So um, America is divided as Australia is divided on this issue. And they are fighting. And I think the public school people here in, in Australia are fighting as well. So we'll have a bit of a break, some announcements and a bit of music, shall we? The Environmental Film Festival Australia is on again. See the impact of climate change and meet heroes fighting for justice. Witness the beauty of nature and hear the sounds of our world. Meet the filmmakers and experts inspiring change and join the conversation to create a sustainable future. Face the facts, face the future, face the films. The Environmental Film Festival Australia in Melbourne from October the 11th to the 19th. Tickets at effa.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Friends of the Earth's Walk This Way is back. Join us on Saturday, October 13th on a sponsored walk of Melbourne's beautiful Bayside Tracks to launch our new waste and consumption campaign and take action on climate change. 
Together, we'll walk 15 kilometres and raise $20,000 for Friends of the Earth. We will be highlighting key issues around climate resilience, rising sea levels and plastic pollution in our oceans. Getting involved is simple. Sign up online at walkthisway.org.au, get sponsored, spread the word and get walking. Join us as we journey through coastal communities who are most vulnerable to the impacts of climate change. We'll finish up with a community picnic in the Katani Gardens in St Kilda. Friends of the Earth is a proud supporter of CTR. Yes, well, thank you very much there, Dale. She's uh, doing a great job on the other side of the console and I'm very grateful because without Robert, it's just us today. But he'll be back next week, better than ever, we hope. Uh, But I'm looking here at the Age article on Thursday, October the 4th again because it's about what's going to happen in the coming state election. The Greens are standing candidates in the inner city and they're hoping, of course, to get um, representation and they're working very hard at it. And we find that Mr Di Natale has taken on the Catholic education lobby, most particularly Mr Elder. Now, Mr Elder claims to have made a difference in the last by-election up in that that neck of the woods. And it was always a question, because you may recall that the Greens uh, fell apart. There was a bit of internal problems there, and the Labor Party got over the line. But um, Mr Elder thinks that he can do it again. He is going to write to parents, and perhaps there might be robocalls. But it's actually not that simple. Questions are being asked, not only by the Greens, but by other people, on what money Mr Elder is using when he lobbies directly, politically, not only with uh, his parents at Catholic schools, but also making robocalls. Where did he get the money from? Because remember, these schools and Mr Elder's organisation are charities. They have billions and billions of dollars of public money to spend on their charities, but they are still charities. They are not public schools. They don't come under the public uh, Auditor General directly, although the Auditor General has been questioning what they are doing with the money. It's not only the Auditor General who's questioning, it's another organisation, and I find this particularly particularly interesting because this organisation which at the moment is inquiring into Mr Elder's use of public money for political purposes is the Charities and Not-for-Profits Commission. They have commenced an investigation into whether the lobbying in that by-election breached the rules on party political campaigning because this commission was set up a while ago and it imitates up to a point, although like ASIC it's a bit of a paper tiger, but it is based on the Charities and Not-for-Profit Commission of the UK, which is a very powerful body. And my understanding when it was first set up was that the Catholic bishops made sure that they had their people uh, in its personnel, it was well it was well taken over at the early stages. So it's going to be very interesting to see what kind of a finding they make. But in any case, Mr. Di Natale and others are saying that he's going to use an upcoming budget estimates hearing to grill the Catholic Commission about oh sorry the Charities Commission about the actions of the Catholic school lobby. So. Um, That's quite interesting. We'll see if this charity is a not-for-profit commission, is a paper tiger, or whether it's got a little bit of bite in it, um, because the Banking Commission has uh, indicated that ASIC, which was deprived of its funding by the the government, uh, had become a paper tiger. But uh, yes, well, we'll just find out more about it, won't we? But uh, that's enough of me and my musings for the moment. We live in very interesting times. 
but it's over to Dale, who's got another very interesting article written by John Menadou, which was published on his Pearls and and Irritations uh, blog site. Over to you once again, Dale. Thanks, Jean. Yes, John Menadou's article is entitled, We All Owe a Lot to Great Teachers. Recently, I chatted with a friend about how much we all owe some teachers and mentors. So I decided to share, with a few minor changes, what I wrote about 20 years ago, what I wrote about 20 years ago about two teachers to whom I owe a great debt. They turned my life around. Professor W.G.K. Duncan at Adelaide University taught me political science in 1958. I was used to lecturers and teachers presenting facts and interpretations for me. I would write down my lecture notes with the intention of reproducing them at examination time. I was a passive learner. But in WGK, I had a lecturer who asked question after question and I found it very frustrating for the whole first term. What was this fellow about? He wouldn't tell me what was correct, right or wrong. Should inheritance or property have any special rights in a democracy? How do we draw a line between individualism and collectivism and so on? In all these carefully crafted questions, he never provided me or the other students with anything that looked like an answer. It took me a whole term to get over my frustration and irritation with him, but it was brilliant and challenging teaching. There is a kernel of truth to be found, but we have to work to get inside the shell to find out what it is. But once we find it, the truth is our own. I found that exploring, challenging and finding answers is where life's energy comes from. Unknowingly, WGK had helped me to link the dots between faith, which I had experienced in the Methodist manse, and social justice. WGK's lectures were transforming. He motivated me to think for myself. Both my head and heart were engaged. There was also an earlier experience with a headmaster at Narracourt, South Australia High School in 1949. My family were Methodist improvers, but not particularly academic. My mother never went to university and my father never went to high school. I coasted along as a student, played a lot of sport and sat comfortably in the lower half of every class. My father inquired about a job for me as a PMG linesman or bank teller. In my intermediate certificate year, the headmaster, Alex McPherson, decided that our examination class didn't have a sense of urgency or direction. In effect, he became our teacher in most of our subjects for the last term. He was determined to get good results for us and the school in the next external examinations for the intermediate certificate. The change for me was dramatic. McPherson was so enthusiastic and dedicated even fearsome. He carried us with him. We respected him. He was known about the school as the Iron Duke. He shook us up. He pushed himself to the limit and expected teachers and students to do the same. His commitment to me and others was infectious. Dull subjects came to life. He showed us how the area of a circle, the formula pi r squared, could be demonstrated by cutting the circle into thin slivers, patching them together to make a rectangle, which was easily measured. He challenged me when I said that the sun rises in the east. He asked me, how could that be when the earth moves around the sun and not vice versa? He clearly loved his subjects, and he also respected and loved his students. Alex McPherson stirred and enthused us. He was a colourful and charismatic teacher who cared for us but demanded a lot from us in return. To my great surprise, I got good results in the intermediate certificate year. I learned for the first time that I had a reasonable ability and that if I applied myself, I could get good results. More importantly, I learned that when it came, when it all came to push and shove, any success was basically up to me. That lesson stayed with me in the later education and in my career. When doubts rose, I recalled my experience with Alex McPherson. W.G.K. Duncan and Alex McPherson both turned my life around. They both worked in the public sector and, as you would note from their names, they were both Scots. 
They were great advocates and exemplars of public education. They were both great motivators and leaders. They loved their students and their subjects. We all need teachers like them. What a lovely story. And of course, public education in Australia, it was all, it has always had to fight at the very beginning with William Wilkins in New South Wales and Rusden, but also with John Dunmore Lang and others. Our public education system came out of the Scottish Enlightenment uh, with the ideas, yes, of Adam Smith up there in Glasgow, but also others. And uh, the, um, some of the Presbyterian ministers who went out of the Presbyterian Church, which was very close to the aristocracy, and set up the Free Presbyterian Church in 1843. John Dunmore Lang was influenced by the ideas of separation of church and state, and so was Inglis Clark, who put Section 116 into our Constitution. I find it very interesting that that all these generations later, John Menadieu was influenced by people who came of Scottish uh, background because the ideas of the Scottish Enlightenment, they're not all marvellous ideas, um, but they are still very, very strong in Australian public education. And the early, the earliest inspectors who went around the schools and made sure that the children in our public schools were well educated, uh, they were very dedicated men. In fact, one of them, uh, was drowned as he tried to get across the river. And they depended very much upon the Aboriginal trackers to get them from school to school. It's actually a heroic story. And we owe it to these people. And we also owe it to our children, to those who've gone before us and to those who are now growing up to fight for public education in this country. It is just the most wonderful idea, the idea that every child should have the top education, the top opportunities that this country has to offer. And it doesn't matter where these children come from. So many of them come from overseas. Every generation, we need to open up our institutions, our most important institution, the cornerstone of our democracy, our public schools to our children. And we should put, there should be no question about resources and money. There should be no question about Catholic schools demanding that they be given special treatment. There should be no question that we uh, should even be putting our public money into sectarian and sectionalist schools that divide our children. We should learn from our history and that's why we're here. That's why we're here every single week, Robert and Dale and I, because this is an idea but it's also action and it's just such an important cause to fight for. But we'll have a bit of a break before we sign off. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. We're a proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Well, before we sign off, we like to take you overseas, perhaps to see what's happening elsewhere. And uh, I have a very interesting little bit and piece, if you like, here from England. Uh, the people in England, or the most special parents that have always, well, they have very, very limited choices, are the parents of disabled children. We're all very excited in the last week to see those two little girls who were conjoined uh, being operated on at the Children's Hospital. They've bought them from Bhutan. But um, there are many, many disabled children in this country and there's the question of whether or not they are going to get a proper education. 
And the parents of disabled children are very special people. They learn to fight early. They learn uh, to love their children early and to fight for them early. Uh, And uh, they are usually very, very courageous and they never give up. Well, I thought these people might, if they are listening, might might like to find out about a group of children and their parents in England that have gone to the High Court there to try to squash a decision by their local council to cut more than $21 from its special education needs and disabilities budget. The public gallery of the court Three in the Royal Courts of Justice in London was packed with children, parents and supporters as an application for judicial review got underway to assess the legality of the Surrey County Council's decision. Now this claim has been brought by five Surrey children with special educational needs and their mothers and it's paid for by crowdfunding. And that's being replicated in other areas of the county and the country that are also facing potential cuts to what they call SEND provision. That's for special education. Jenny Edward Richards, who was the QC for the families, said it was common knowledge that local authorities were under financial pressure and they had to make difficult choices. But she said such decisions had to be made on an informed basis. And this is, this is what happens when the money's in short supply, and our governments are forever telling us that the money is in short supply. It's the helpless whose needs are cut first. And so parents of disabled children have to fight just that extra bit harder. And here in Australia, we have to fight just that bit harder because this is where the cuts have been made by Mr Morrison in recent times and they have closed many of our special schools so our our, our ordinary public schools are expected to integrate children with special needs. But um, our time is gone. In England, in America and in Australia, the people who believe in public education are out and about and fighting, and the elections are coming up, and it's going to be a very interesting time indeed. So that's all for now. If you want to find more out more about all of this and the dogs, go to www.adogs.info. But from Dale and myself, it's bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe says I, him standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill, went on to organize. Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you find your hill It's there you find 
dreamed I saw Joe here last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead.